Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Jay Cost. And Jay, you had a great piece for uh, weeklystandard.com this week about what the uh, contested race in Mississippi means and doesn't mean about the current status of the Republican Party and the uh, Tea Party. And of course, now that we know that this race may be challenged, <laughs> it gets even more interesting. Right. Well, you know, I thought I wanted to write the piece just because of the reaction that I seem to be, um, you know, reading from the web journalists sort of talking about, oh, the Tea Party's been defeated and, you know, seeing stories about how much money the establishment, quote unquote, spent to, you know, win these primaries. And, and I just think that people have been missing the point, uh, at least people in the Beltway, misunderstood the Tea Party, misunderstood the nature of these challenges. And, you know, these challenges more often than not are come from amateur candidates who don't have any political experience, like, you know, Dave Bratt, who defeated Eric Cantor, um, or upstarts, people who, you know, maybe are in politics but are sort of, you know, they might say they're, they're cutting in line. You know, there's a sort of hierarchy to political offices, and a lot of these Tea Party um, conservative insurgents are in politics, but they sort of are ignoring the hierarchy, which is how I would view Chris McDaniel. These are not these these don't tend to be your best candidates. You know, these these candidates tend to not have the fundraising networks to raise money. They tend not to have uh, top quality consultants, and they also tend not to have the skill sets personally on the campaign trail and in the media necessary to win. And yet, they have been giving the the establishment such uh, terror. And the establishment has had to spend somewhere upwards of $20 million independent of the candidates to defeat them. That's extraordinary. And, and to sort of look at this and say, oh, well, the establishment, establishment is one, I think totally misses the point, which is that the party base, the voters who, who call themselves Republicans, who participate in Republican primaries, and who, who see themselves as conservatives, are so fed up with their own party that they are using these imperfect vessels as a means to channel their frustration and to send a message to the establishment that you had better uh, you know, fix your ways because what you're doing isn't any good. And as if they needed to do this because the, the polling is, isn't clear enough. I mean, the polling is crystal clear. You know, the Republicans' favorability rating in Congress is something on the order of 20 percent, and it's because conservative Republicans disapprove of Congress. I think that's the real message coming out of Mississippi, that, you know, good, you know, Thad Cochran gets another six years in the Senate and, and you know, um, the Appropriations Committee to, you know, deal out the pork. But, you know, they had to spend all that money and they needed two shots to beat an upstart state senator who's only been in office for maybe, I think, four or five years. I mean, that is a sign of real structural weakness. And, you know, the establishment, it seems to me, has always been bad at reading these signs. You know, if you go back to 1992, the Pat Buchanan uh, challenge of George H.W. Bush wasn't about Pat Buchanan. It was about Republicans trying to send the top of the party a message. And if the top of the party had listened, there wouldn't have been a Ross Perot and there wouldn't have been a Bill Clinton and Republicans would have held on to the White House for at least four more years. Is it? Do you think it's true, as some uh, uh, Tea Partiers say, that the a party establishment, the Washington money and insiders, they would rather lose with their guy than to see someone else win and pick up the power? You know, that's a good question. I think for some of them it's probably true, maybe even for more than some of them. Because, look, I think that the uh, the insurgency to 
the um, the Republican establishment is really very distinct from them. I mean, the, you know, this is not this doesn't boil down to a contest of personalities. You know, it boils down to well, how does Washington D.C. work, and how is the Republican Party supposed to fit into that scheme? And you know, the Republican establishment has a certain answer to that question that is very different than what the Tea Party wants, and. Now, that's why I think you know the real genesis of this frustration came all the way back in 2008 with the bailout of Wall Street through TARP. You know, I mean, people can debate whether or not that that was a you know necessary thing to do, but I think that the conservatives saw their own representatives in Congress voting you know hundreds of billions of dollars to private investment firms that were only in so much trouble because they lobbied so heavily and got their regulators to look the other way, which happened again and again. It happened at the SEC, it happened at OTC, it happened everywhere. And then they turn around and ruin the economy and then they get a big bailout check. And I think that was the start of it. And I think that, you know, there's a, that, that, that this, this is not going to resolve itself until um, the establishment starts to behave in Washington. You know, you look um, at the political moment, Jay, and you see this huge opportunity for Republicans to go in and say, look, if you're very, very wealthy, you, you know, your life is good. If you're uh, low income or poor, government's pouring money at you, we're going to be the party of everybody else in between. It's just sitting there as an opportunity. And the Republicans just, it's just almost as though they refuse to take it. They're going to stick with issues that are problematic for the middle class and lower middle class, like uh, immigration and like you know big business bailouts, no matter what, leave the opportunity sitting on the table. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that we've seen this you know, and a lot of this has been a learning experience for conservatives, and it would because you know this is the way government has worked for 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 you know almost a century now, basically a century. And you know, for for a lot of that century, the Republicans were on the outside looking in. You know, mm -hmm. because they had lost the House in '52, they or '54, they'd lost the Senate in '54, got the Senate back, but didn't get complete control until '94. So, and it was supposed to be a revolution. Well, where's the revolution? I mean, what's changed, honestly? I mean, the Farm Bill is a great example of what's changed. They expended enormous political effort to reform the Farm Bill in 1996 when they passed the FAIR Act, which is basically freedom to farm, and they were going to lower the subsidies down to zero. But then in the latter half of the decade, farm prices started to buckle a little bit, and farm commodity interest groups leaned heavily on congressional Republicans and persuaded them to, to restore the subsidies. And this year they passed the Farm Bill, that's the same old story. I mean, and you have to ask yourself, at what point do we even need the Republican Party? I mean, you can get the Democrats. The Democrats will be happy to pass a farm bill for you. You know, what point, what point does the Republican Party serve if it's just doing the same old, same old? Now, you, we talk about how much the Republican Party's Party is struggling to seize this group, if you want to call them populist voters. But if there's anyone less well situated to seize them, Jay. I think it's that poor, struggling, not wealthy person, Mrs. Bill Clinton, and her poor, starving husband who just bought twelve five hundred dollar watches. Right. I'm sorry, it was well, fourteen. I apologize. It was fourteen five hundred dollar watches. Yeah, Hillary is. Um, you know, everybody is. I think being reminded of the reason why Hillary lost in two thousand eight, which was that she ran. When she was in the lead, she ran a terrible, awful, disastrous campaign. She only started to show 
determination and focus and grit and and you know, political qualities that people really like after Super Tuesday in 2008, which was after Pundit started arguing that she was finished, you know. And I, you know, I think this is a problem that Clintons just have in general. I don't know why, but they seem only to perform really well when their backs are to the wall. And whenever they have an advantage, they usually just squander it. Um, they they operate best coming from behind, and Hillary is not behind right now. And I think she's, you know, I, I think that this book tour and her answers have been very unfocused, and I think that the book itself was a missed opportunity to really say something and 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 try to build a political coalition around something other than, hey, why not me now? Which is basically all that I think that she has to offer at this moment. I mean, I'm sort of reminded of that famous Ted Kennedy interview with Roger Mudd of CBS 1980, Why Do You Want to Be President? He couldn't give an answer. You know, I, I just don't see anything coming out in, this, in, this, in these early days that sort of give an urgency or a purpose to a Hillary Clinton candidacy. But are Democrats seeing that? Because uh, the you know cas- casual Democrats I talk to, they either are a, oh, absolutely, Hillary, it's great, and inevitably it's a woman voter who says that, or, yeah, it's going to be Hillary no matter what. They're just an uh, unstoppable force. Well, I think that what might be driving Democrats on the, um, in the upper levels of the party is just a fear. Um, and I think that Hillary, what is the, the, the climate in 2008 was bad for Hillary because, you know, look, it was such a bad year for Republicans and it was so obviously going to be a great year for Democrats that it was like, well, why should we vote for Hillary? I think that that was a question that a lot of Democrats asked themselves because the Clintons, while they were popular with middle America, their governing style in the 90s left the left wing of their party on the outside looking in particularly after Republicans came into Congress, which, by the way, is also why everybody remembers Bill Clinton as a political maestro. 93 and 94, before the House Republicans came in, he was terrible. His job approvals had sunk down to 40 percent. He had a fire chief of staff. He had a whole boatload of investigations pending against him. It was terrible. He only really found his mojo starting in 95. And for that, he really needed the Republicans. And And he pushed the Democrats on the left wing to the outside. And, you know, they got him back in 2000. You know, R- Ralph Nader won just enough to spoil the election and, and convince just enough people on the left wing that there was no real difference between Republicans and Democrats. And Obama did kind of the same thing in 2008. I mean, he kind of made the same argument that Nader made, which is that there's no difference between Bush Republicans and Clinton Democrats. So I think that there's not a lot of love lost between the left wing of the party and the Clintons. I think the difference this time is that unlike in 2008 when things look so good for them, 2016 is going to be a challenge for them. Um, I mean, Obama's job approval rating is now in the low 40s, which is a bad spot to be. Now, it's possible he could bump himself back up, and, you know, he could very well do that, but it's not something you can bank on, certainly. Moreover, the Democrats are are contesting a third consecutive seat, which a uh, third consecutive term in the in the White House. If they win in 2016, they'll have won three terms in a row. That's very hard to do; hasn't been done since 1988. And when it happens, it usually happens because the incumbent president is popular. And this is where I think Hillary Clinton's great strength is potentially, which is that she has a reputation um, that I think transcends the Obama administration, and even the Democratic Party brand in a lot of respects. And I think that that is one reason why the left wing of the party isn't 
uh, coalescing around a, a, an alternative or even having a serious conversation about doing so. I think they know that Hillary's got some quality that can sell the public and give them another four years that if they nominate somebody like, you know, let's say Russ Feingold runs. I think the Republicans could just make argue that Russ Feingold's another clone of Barack Obama, um, which is, you know, I think that would work and that would be what they do. But it's really hard to make that argument with Hillary Clinton because she is very clearly her own person. She's got her own reputation that's independent of Obama. By 2016, she'll have been in national politics for nearly um, a quarter century. Jay Koss, thanks so much for joining us for these updates on the current status of the GOP and Hillary Clinton. You can find them both at uh, weeklystandard.com. Be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.